Welcome to the Brit Populism Podcast, the podcast that separates the Gallagher brothers from each other. I'm Patrick Rosnan, <laughs> editor in chief of the Enemy Eat My Ass. With us, as always, is Greg Spross from the political cog of the political machine. He puts uh, the say our stains are the happiest nation in the world. What's our secret in state funded infrastructure? And Ed Knight, or as is known in manga circles, lack of cash flow, magic, and muscles. <laughs> That's so good. Welcome to the Brit Populism Podcast. Good evening, Great Britain. Good evening, Great Britain. Good evening, Great Britain. We're back. Thanks for having oh, us. Thanks for waiting, folks. I know it's been a long hiatus without the Brit Populism boys. I was on holiday. Allow me. Yeah. We're allowed to go on holiday. You know? Yeah, exactly. Leftists are allowed to go on holiday unless you're Owen Jones and Ash Saka are at a wedding. Well, <laughs> and talking of uh, extended holidays, Hadley Freeman will no longer be seen in your favourite uh, turf rag. Turf rag, yes, good, very good. Listen, listen, um, there are some, journal- as we all know, there are certain journalists who fall into certain roles, you know, like there are sports journalists. Uh, you know, current news, investigative journalists. And in this country, we have a special journalist role for someone to defend Woody Allen every eight months. <laughs> <laughs> Which was Hadley Freeman's special role on this nation we like to call Cunt Island. Uh, Hadley Freeman has left uh, The Guardian, or as we know, it is um, a weird paper now. A very weird paper. Uh, it's got, it's fixed its typos, but it's changed it in a monkey's paw wish for, you know, transphobia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, and what was Hadley Freeman's point to go? It was because... Um, to work. Was it something well, like it that? Will, it, will, it will not surprise you to, to learn it's actually all uh, Jeremy Corbyn's fault. Oh, of course it was, yeah. Somehow. Uh, I can't remember. She... This was, was it something that The Guardian had edited her column too much? I can't remember. Go on, go on Greg. Well, she now. said, uh, she said uh, that, you know, there's there's been some sort of blurring of reality over the past decade. Um, uh? that, that somehow... That somehow now having bad opinions by some sort of alchemy makes you a bad person. <laughs> um, and it sort of depends. It depends what the bad opinions are, doesn't it? Because yeah, you know, like I think I've I think I've moaned to you boys privately. I mean, it's a common, but but like on Hinge, it's crazy how many people independently come to the conclusion that that toppings on pizza uh, is like an important thing to talk about. Yeah. That's the difference of opinion where if you like, if you like, uh, what you is the pineapple. deal with these dating apps these days? Yeah, but that's that's the difference of opinion. Or, you know, was it or was it not a penalty? Not, not do you think people should have basic dignity and human rights sure, in sure. their workplace and, you know, society? Uh, and then she also sort of blamed it on Corbyn. Um, she sort of put it down to this Nexus event of, the uh, Vice documentary, which I think was in either 2016 or 2017, uh-huh. where there's there's a fly on the wall. Um, Camp, well, he obviously knows it's there. Um, but he's on the phone to Seamus Milne about a recent hit piece that Jonathan Friedland has done. And Corbyn says, quite calmly, I think, um, oh, this this guy's, uh, he, he seems a bit, he seems a bit obsessed with me, to be honest. He's not a very nice man. And it's, it's said quite calmly, and, and Freeman mentions this exchange. Um, she even sort of says he was on the phone to Milne, funnily enough, as though this is somehow duplicitous that the, the leader of the opposition will be on the phone to his director of press and communications about um, coverage in a newspaper. Yeah, if he hates um, capitalism so much, why does he have a phone? 
That's a good point. Quite so, quite so. Um, but she said that she recounts, the, she recounts the story as Corbyn being raging, which um, obviously bears no resemblance to what actually happened. Sure. But it's, it's incredible how much she hangs on this event as sort of being endemic of some sort of breakdown of trust. It's it's really quite a remarkable piece. I'm sorry we won't be seeing her around no more. <laughs> well, she says she's just stopping being a coroner. She'll still do interviews and the like. With who? Like Woody Allen. Maybe she can do another one with Orson Welles where he tells her she's a fucking idiot for liking Woody Allen. Yeah, I saw uh, it, what's it? Someone tweeted yesterday that that Woody Allen, Woody, Woody Allen, uh, Hadley Freeman's column is of no interest to Woody Allen anymore because it's over twenty or something. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a good tweet. It's a good tweet. Well, I'm, I'm sure she'll do some very good Roman Polanski, John Barrowman, people like that. <laughs> Hadley Freeman is uh she's a she's like um she's a weird one, you know. Like I think that probably her going is uh a net good because she's a horrible piece of shit. And hopefully, you know, now they're not paying her her presumably enormous wage, the Guardian can stop fucking begging you for money at the bottom of all their transphobic articles now. Um but yeah, where am I going to go to for my my like terrible patter and and my like um, paedophile apologism? Yeah, oh wait, it's really oh, maybe, changing the game. Yeah, maybe every other paper in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. <it's>, uh... <laughs> yeah, sorely missed. It leaves uh, the Guardian's main columnist now. Uh, the only one I will ever be checking out to be Adrian Giles. Incredible, yeah. There's no way she can she can be in the ring with Charlesy these days. Yeah, exactly. My towering, agave, agave, my towering agave plant is in full bloom, but it's a bittersweet bonanza. It's so that's why the Guardian is such a trip because you have like. Hadley Freeman doing like terrible jokes, couching a really, really, really horrible transphobic piece of writing. And then on the next page, it's like Adrian Child spent all weekend seeing how many Yorkshire puddings he could eat in one sitting. Yeah. Adrian I'm, I'm a messy actually, eater and it is mortifying. Adrian Charles actually has it written into his contract with The Guardian that he only has to turn in copy that he could complete himself with the little magnets that are on fridges. I saw a tweet from a middle-aged man uh, this morning, which had just insane Adrian Charles energy. And it was uh, a response to a thread uh, asking if it was true that different types of booze made you a different kind of drunk um, and wh- or whether it was just like an urban myth. And this one particular gentleman said that he's not allowed to drink whiskey after beer anymore because it makes him too mouthy. And his wife calls it cheeky water. <laughs> Cheeky water. Lovely. That's so good. Um, I think we should do a sweepstake right here, right now. Place your bets. What paper is Hadley Freeman going to pop up in next with a column? Times. Telegraph. Uh, I think Telegraph. it's going to be, I think it's going to be the Atlantic. Oh, really? That's a good gonna one. She's going to try and succeed where Helen Lewis failed. Okay. And and I think it was the oh, Atlantic that this week asked, um, posed uh, a long read, uh, or had a long read posing a question of whether uh, executions carried out by the state should be made more humane. So um, she'd be a perfect bedfellow for, for, for a, a paper or an outlet like that. I'm always saying that about state executions. Just not not compassionate enough. More female executioners. 
I was going to make a broader point about how column, like columnism as an entire industry shouldn't even really exist. Well, no. Uh, well, I, but then I realised we do a podcast, which is essentially well, the well, same well, premise, but in audio form. Yeah. Well, yeah, then we're not getting paid a six-figure salary. Yeah. yeah. Podcast should exist, but, you know, as I've always said, podcast is the new television, you know. If you don't have one, it looks like you're poor. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone gather around the podcast and watch the Queen's coronation. Yeah, gather around the podcast and record. I remember when everyone went out and bought a podcast at the Festival of Britain. No, but everyone makes fun of like, oh, look at me, I've got a leftist podcast or whatever. Let, let, let's talk about our favourite MP. Okay. Okay, here we go. Okay. Right. Here we go. There we go, because this... Um, right. Haven't talked about this MP for a live and dedicated ep- significant episode to, time to this MP for a while, since about episode eight, I think, but... But a few mentions here and there. Now we're back in round two. Uh, unprecedented intervention from the Speaker of the House of Commons today. Uh, over security politicians after Rosie Dunfield uh, was forced to pull out of the Labour Party conference after receiving online threats from what uh, the Sunday Times calls militant transgender activists. Um, what, what the Times actually said was she was being terrorised, which I think is a very yeah. uh, important use of words. You know, the words like that don't get used by accident. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe it's overreaction, but I think in the context of, of the police bill that gives the Home Secretary the the unique right to define what is and what isn't ac- is acceptable forms of freedom of speech and protest, Yeah, it feels like they're laying the turf. Yeah. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, um, obviously, nobody should be, like, walking around, you know, fearing for their safety. <laughs> we, we're, not, we're not calling for that. But Rosie Duff, Duffield herself... There's some irony in that, though, do you know what I mean? Because it's... There's a bit of, there's a bit of irony. Because, we'll you know, like, that's... Uh, yeah, obviously, that uh, that includes trans people above and before MPs. <laughs> well, MP well, is not a protected characteristic. I'm allowed to say that because I hate MPs. <laughs> Um, but the thing is, this, even Duffield says she doesn't believe it. She goes, the people who threaten me, I don't think are actually likely to harm me. They just say often and very loudly. Uh, I don't know if that means she thinks she's like an expert crowd Magar or something. But and I think it's a very, very sad indictment of, of uh, trust in the Labour Party's leadership, frankly, that the leader of the women's PLP doesn't feel like she can attend the conference safely, because ultimately, surely that's down to the leadership. I... I also been able to manage a conference properly. I also think. Did we find out no? what the the threats were? No, because that's that's no, not no, it. it's, it's, you know, it's, it's general it's, social media troll. It's the it's the exact same um, baseless, borderline conspiratorial nonsense we had in the twenty nineteen election, where we were told of you know roving bands of momentum thugs stalking their prey after dark, and and what was actually happening was it was by and large labour activists who were the victims of of assaults because they yeah. were whipped up into a furore by a hysterical press. Mm. But it's been really- an interesting. I think there's been an interesting change of pace from Duffield in the past couple of weeks because before <laughs> she's had this story in the time, she wrote quite a long thread. Um, oh, maybe right. was it last weekend about yeah. being I'm a gender critical feminist. Um, I didn't read it. It's not worth my time. Um, but I thought it was it was it was it was interesting that that previously she's always been a bit nod and wink. 
Yeah, she's been more cover. It's than always this. been it's always been people screenshotting her likes. Oh, look at she's liked another tweet. Her locking her account put, and shit. Yeah, all that sort of stuff. So to sort of you know have it out in plain sight um, was an escalation that we've not seen from her before, and she obviously feels either supported in 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 doing so by the galvanized yeah or or that they that they they simply don't care about the issue enough to do anything about it by the leadership and the press uh, what well here's the i'm gonna say two things firstly i i this might be a tinfoil hat a little bit but i would not be surprised if horrific as this might sound to say that the leadership is uh all for one of their most front-facing sort of more well-known MPs having the right-wing press on their side because that's what they've been looking for for the past year and a half. Mm-hmm. Secondly, it's extremely troubling from the press, especially, you mentioned the word like terrorise, but I'd like to highlight the 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 the, the, um, the supposition of militancy because that's like traditionally been language that has been weaponized against gay and LGBTQ people, mm-hmm. uh, lesbian women a lot as well uh, through the eighties and nineties in this country. The militancy is, is a buzzword for, for like, it, it's, it's like a, it's a huge dog whistle. It, it always, it always comes before and surrounds conversations about like imposing lifestyles on us and, and and stuff like that it's incredibly damaging to to the trans community because it's not it's it's not actual militancy obviously it's just like wanting to exist and and yeah i mean yeah have fundamental point, rights assert, you know asserting your basic very very basic rights and, and and dignities is seen as is seen as subversive or militant and i think that's sadly reflective of not where we are as a culture because as you said Ed, that was the 80s and the 90s as well but you know what we what we have been as a culture. We've always that, been. You know, yeah, I mean, and I think you know, I think the, <laughs> the, the, the the complete ambivalency from, and I don't, I won't just say the lead, but from Starmer himself, because ultimately this is, you know, well, maybe maybe you could argue that that it isn't his job because discipline, you know, political involvement in disciplinary cases shouldn't be shouldn't be happening. But we all know that's that that it is happening. Yeah. But you know, the book starts with Starmer. Yeah. Um, and. I think that it just highlights the hypocrisy that we're constantly told on. Oh, no, let's hark back to New Labour um, and wanting to emulate Blair and wanting to take the clock back to Mondeo Man and all the rest of it. Even that, even that on its own terms is just fucking hollow because you'd, you'd have thought, if anything, you would want to big up the Equality Act as being pretty much the last great achievement of New Labour when it was in office. You know, it was, it was, it was the, it was the, the, like the drag end of Brown's term before we went to the, to the polls that that was, and a lot of the, you know, it's it, so the fact that they're not willing to hang, even hang the hat on that, even though it's just, it's just embarrassing. It's embarrassing uh, for the supposedly. Uh, yeah. I know it can sound like uh, might some, to some of you, we talk about the Labour party a lot, even though the three of us profess to not sort of hold any stock in the Labour party anymore. And it might sound a bit repetitive for us to just like sort of tag team, uh, tombstone care on the pod every week but i think it is important to talk about like when a when a one of the most one of one of the most uh well-known and sort of public facing members of the ostensibly left-wing opposition is sort of like vocally uh aligning themselves with with uh like with 
groups for whom bigotry and sort of transphobia is their only MO, like, again, like trans people are protected by the Equality Act. And even if they weren't, it would be reprehensible. But for this to for this to keep happening so publicly, for the leadership to do nothing about it, I, I think it, it does it does bear talking about because it's, it's, it's sort of, I don't know, like if, if I, I don't want to sort of what about anything, but I do think that imagine if a, a labor MP was like, came out and was like, used the same kind of roundabout gender critical language that Rosie Duffield had been using and said, Oh, I'm not a homophobe. I just think that marriage is uh, sacred and that you shouldn't push uh, your agenda on us in public. It would be absolutely unacceptable. That MP would be out on their ass within 30 seconds of that tweet being published but then there's but that's the the, the sad thing is that the, the space that's been made by these gender critical feminists has now been taken up again by these by this sort of homophobia that was that was um you know not driven out but that was certainly on on the face of it not tolerated in the way that it had been in the past um it's it's and the thing is as well you know you say i'd like we don't you know we have no stake in the labor party but ultimately you know, I have stake right in the to... welfare of the trans community of this. Exactly, country. and 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 ultimately, what's 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 happening with trans rights in the UK is is essentially that it's becoming a lot more than it is in a lot of other countries, becoming a quite a prominent civil rights struggle. And the reality yeah. is, a, a lot of that struggle has been fought out. It happens to be fought out in this in this reign of the Labour Party because we've had, you know, the the Court of Appeal has has um, voted or you know uh, repealed uh, the Bell Tavistock. Um, which is huge decision, which we will come to like a yeah. huge huge news um, maybe we should talk about it in this section i think yeah i think we should probably should yeah um and it's and it's it's a huge huge decision and it's actually really important that it shows that the judiciary of this country is displaying a more progressive position than the parliamentary labor party and that's simply not acceptable that's not acceptable to have to have uh yeah, okay, it's independent from the government, but uh, but a bona fide arm of the state to be guaranteeing our rights more than the Labour movement itself is. Because that's a very, very weak... It's a huge, huge decision, and we'll, you know, we celebrate it, but it's still a very weak yeah. foundation if, if it's not followed through with the sort of social, mass-based and political support that it needs, because it's going to be subject to attack again. And I think we need to be really clear as well that the gender-critical feminists, you know, this isn't a case of... I think again, there's a difference between the people who formulate opinion and the people who who really sort of plan campaigns. Graham Linehan, for example, being one of them, Rosie Duffield, another, and people who maybe out of ignorance and confusion and a lack of political education get a little bit sucked in, but are otherwise, you know, good comrades. Um, but you know, when we're talking about the theory itself, when we're talking about what this is based on, it's reactionary. It's fascism adjacent it's it's racist adjacent it, it uses exactly the same talking points um it uses exactly the same starting points from what we understand society and culture to be i also think that it's important like that this is just another small thing I've, we've used it a couple of times in this podcast i'm trying to stop using words like tough and gender critical feminist even though people like duffield and linehan will refer to themselves as such i think transphobe is is a more comprehensive word just because like yeah you are right the, yeah. the, the phrase gender critical feminist implies that there's like any there's, there's something to it yeah there's there's not i mean it, it it's really evocative of like again to call back to previous civil rights struggles uh 
uh, in the LGBTQ communities. Like in the past, uh, anti-gay and anti-lesbian movements have always been sort of led by people who are kind of um, moral panic mongering about uh, about important sort of institutions and characteristics it used to be the family it used to be there used to be like a lot of uh, fear-mongering about the fact that that gay rights lgbt rights were an incursion on on other people's rights and it's happening now with 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 feminism feminism is bad feminism incomplete feminism is being used as a beating stick to push back uh, civil rights for trans people under the the pretense that it is in any way helping women it's not you can't you can't be yeah. a feminist without <coughs> advocating for trans women like yeah. absolutely not well the, uh, this all comes down to uh sort of modern middle class uh, i mean i don't want to speak for feminists here right there's a modern middle class feminism which is like very limited very base and they're choosing like what women are women, where it's just like, it's kind of, that's not your choice to make as a sort of humongous blob, right? When there's actually an actual civil rights movement going on, and they hate it. I am. Um, like a despicable thing. I, I, was, thing. Like, I, I, I completely it's all, agree. And I it's think... all like a professional, and it's a professional class doing it. You know, Hadley Freeman, Hedda Lewis. Yeah, I think the term... people are seen as maniacs, they're MPs. The, the term for it for me is um, I watched a, a recent YouTube video by FD Signifier where he clarifies the term white feminism. And I think it's uh, applicable to this kind of thing. Like he, he explains white feminism as like a, not just feminism practiced by white women, as a lot of people assume it to be, but a feminism that an exclusive self-serving feminism that operates within and in conjunction with white heteronormative patriarchy to afford wins for white cis straight women most often middle class and upper class white straight cis women at the expense of other groups for whom feminism is important as well and i think yeah. that's but it's a, essentially i mean that's the truth with you know white feminism has always been a movement if you can call it such that's been more concerned with policing the boundaries of of its own uh, identification and what it means to be in the in club, mm. and we and we see it in terms of, you know, across across the world, white white, white lives have historically been valued more more than white lives, and and simply in the way that that we talk about so many issues, even in the way that that um, you know, people on the left are told to shut up about Palestine because this isn't a domestic concern that people don't care about. Um, you know that has that has a similarly gendered impact. It's the it's the same, you know, thought processes and ways of looking at the world that underpin um, so many of these regressive positions and, and ideologies. It's something we talked about recently on the podcast with how sort of uh, moneyed Western white feminism was treating what was happening Af in Afghanistan mm -hmm. and not not paying sort of any attention to the, to the way that like sort of colonialism and race and poverty and and living in an occupied country intersect with with feminism at, at a time like this and, oh by the way before we move on from this topic uh like the articles you know, the sunday times one uh they go like talking about how other labor mps have felt at risk in recent years uh-huh uh, they bring up luciana burger like completely violent you know when she was given police protection after anti-semitic abuse Obviously, they failed to mention Dawn Butler, who couldn't go back to her office after racist abuse. Did they mention Jeremy Corbyn, who is the victim of an assault in a mosque? No, no, they mentioned Jeremy Corbyn trying to downplay the risks. 
Uh. Yeah, and I look forward to seeing what Keir Starmer does as a reaction to all of this. Uh, I'm sure he'll pitch something like a bottomless brunch at like Drag Bingo or something. The one thing from from Rosie Duffield's uh, glowing coverage in the, in the in the Times that I just want to pick up on um, is exceedingly low hanging fruit. I don't want to spend too long on this now, but um, Lisa Nandy uh, said of Duffield in relation to um, the alleged threats that she's received. Uh, she has been the victim of the most serious crime imaginable and must be treated with care and respect. That's, that's, a, gen- that's a genuine quote from the Shadow Foreign Secretary, the, yeah. the, Rosie Duffield. And, and whether, whether, whether you agree with... Serious her, crime imaginable. Everyone listening to this, I want, to, I want you to put your heads down on your desk or on the tube or at work or wherever you listen to this, and I want you to imagine a crime. Uh, I guarantee you that none of you, none of the five of you listening will be able to imagine anything worse than somebody calling Rosie Duffield, Dozy Ruffield on Twitter. Shadow Foreign Secretary, who presumably has had a lot to do with what's been going on in Afghanistan for the past few months. Yeah. Imagine a more serious crime than Rosie Dumfield. And this is uh and this is sort of what we're talking about when we when we rail against, I guess, you know, you know, white feminism, not not as a, a thinly veiled misogyny, but just as a um an affliction by which you lose any sense of perspective um <laughs> at all. Mm. Which is really what what is at the root of of of, of so much of this transphobia is just a, just a hideously uh, hopeless sense of perspective and what is going on in the world. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, for stuff like this, I'm always interested, sort of, where the line is of people who believe that they're doing a good thing and have essentially been duped by snake oil salesmen. And people who know that they're just propagating absolute bullshit, uh-huh. and you can see it really clearly on that. I think I mentioned it a, a couple of episodes ago on, on the American right, because you can see at what level, where, whereas various sort of right wing personalities are sprouting anti vax rhetoric, uh-huh. congressmen aren't dying, senators aren't dying because they've all had the vaccine, uh-huh. but then a host of sort of mid ranking evangelists and radio senators and radio host shock jocks, they are dying. So you can sort of quite clearly plot the line between the manipulators and the people who've been duped. Yeah. And I wonder where that is in the great British transphobia bake-off, whatever you want to call it, because presumably people like Rosie Duffield, they know that they're acting in bad faith. I, Rosie Duffield, I honestly she think she's, she's a crusader for the truth. No, I think she's fucking stupid. I think she is. She has got an empty brain made of dry conchiglie. Okay, but the, but, but the huge, but yeah, the, the, I mean, the, the, the better news is that Bell, Bell Tavistock has been overturned. That's the good news. Yeah, that's the good news. And if, if for those of you who aren't familiar with what this what this uh, what this court case uh, decided, it was. Essentially, the Tavistock Clinic that were that were taken to court, and and the High Court decided that that puberty blockers couldn't be couldn't be given to children under the age of sixteen. Yeah, and this is and it sort of rested on a a long standing sort of legal slash medical concept called Gillick Gillick competence, which is whether children have the mental ability to make decisions pertaining to their own healthcare. 
And in some cases, it's judged that they do, and in some cases, it's judged that they don't. So initially, Bell Tavistock held that, that no children couldn't be trusted to make that decision, mm-hmm. which is now rightfully, I think, being overturned. Yeah, They made a second decision on the same day, which is sort of equally important, which is that um, parents can give consent um, for the treatment to happen, which is that the court has to take notice of, which previously the court could have overruled, but now the parents can overrule a court. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it just strikes me, and I've not, not really thought in these terms before, but that notion that essentially the clinician and the family knows what's best for medical care yeah. is what is at the absolute centre of a really important feminist struggle and feminist discourse in the United States with access to abortion. Sure. And the, not that the courts the, do. The logic is unimpeachable. The the position is absolutely untenable that it has to be the right to choose, that the state, whether through politicians or through courts, has absolutely no right to tell people what they can and cannot do with their bodies. And that applies even more if you're a child. Even yeah. more, the state, it would be abhorrent for the state to force a child who had who had been the victim of rape, which as a child you can only be the victim of rape if you yeah. if you are if you are pregnant. Yeah, yeah. Um, we would understand it to be morally abhorrent for the state to to force that child to bring a pregnancy um, uh, to, to full term, and that is a cornerstone of of what is currently a, a real struggle for rights in in the states. Um, and the, the the transphobes in the UK who who profess to fight for for gender equality and for and for uh, female emancipation are on the other side. They're they're applying the exact opposite logic in fighting for Bell's Tavistock to be reinstated. Mm. And it's and it just it, I, for me it just shows that if you if, essentially if you're on the same position as as the, the furthest right actors in the states, then that's where you are. Yeah. There's no amount of dressing up that you can do, is there? For sure. Yeah, and uh, how is it covered by The Guardian? Children can transition without parents' consent. Unhinged. Yeah. I see they didn't even... Um, I think it was, was it Sean's, Sean Faye's book, The Transgender Issue. Yeah. Um, it's been well-received, I think, almost everywhere. Um, the Times have reviewed it. Yep. I think The Mail have reviewed it. The Guardian have not reviewed it. Uh-huh. You know, to not even provide it with a review is just revealing of such a contemptuous attitude, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I like but to also, think in my brain also, it's because Sean Fay did not provide them with a review copy. That's what I like to think. Oh, I think it's, I think they can't afford it. Yeah, could be. Could they be. can't afford a copy of the book? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's what they had to sack Hadley Freeman. Yeah, you have read uh, four articles this year. Please donate twenty five books. £25 so we can review Sean Faye's book. <laughs> so, Reshuffle ends with Williamson in tears, which, um, I don't know, tears of joy because he's got, you know, in the running for a knighthood. I, allegedly now, for a job well done. I, not in the same well-taught, well-worn path as Chris Grayling. He's, he's, uh, no, he's going to be, he's, it's going to be like Homer and the inanimate carbon rod. His spider is going to get the knighthood and he's not going to get fuck all. Um, is his spider's going to eat him in his sleep. <laughs> we can only hope that spider eats him while he's asleep. Um, I despise Gavin Williamson and I could not be happier that he was fucking crying and pissing his pants to his mum outside, uh, his office. Um, 
after he's, he lost. By the way, for those of you he didn't even fucking with... lose his job. He's still an MP. He's still getting paid inordinate amounts of money to be a fucking horror. For those fan. of you unfamiliar with uh, Central London geography, this isn't the sense of he came out of like the back door of number 10 or something in a really secluded spot. The the Department for Education building is on Victoria Street. Yeah. There's like a million press. It's like two minutes from Victoria Station. It's a very, very busy street. Um, I wish... I, I, I just... I wish I could have been there for it. I wish I could have been there to see his... Because, you know, so so many of these politicians, well, all of them, essentially, are just duplicitous bastards. At least on the Tory side. There's a few good eggs on the Labour side. Yeah, a couple. That you very rarely see that actual real display of any sort of emotion. They can't conjure it for people who deserve empathy. They can only conjure it for themselves, of course. Yeah, Gavin Williams couldn't uh, couldn't uh, conjure it for the for for everyone murdered in Derry on Bloody Sunday. Yeah, went to pardon Soldier F. Couldn't conjure oh. it for them, but he, he lost. Yeah. He, he yeah, Matt, Matt Hancock tried once on live television. He did. Yeah, I do not remember. Yeah. Oh, that was the, the beginning of the end for him, wasn't it? Yeah, well, the beginning of the end, wasn't it? Imagine it being a Tory MP. But then, he, but then he got sacked for bad fuck technique. So but I think it was the yeah, it was the beginning of the end of his marriage. I think he's I think the affair had gone off without a hitch until that moment when his wife saw how bad of a liar he was on telly. Yeah, and just had like a Damascene moment. Did I did I tell you about the escape room? Like Matt Hancock and the escape room. No, a friend. Of, all right, release this, but. Okay. Matt Hancock, like the weekend after the news came out about his affair and everything, uh, a friend of mine works in an escape room and he booked uh, it for four people. So it's him, his new lover, and his two kids. Amazing. They're doing an escape room together. Uh, apparently, uh, the kids were not that involved. Oh Why are we in an escape room? Oh my God. I hate her. That's so fucked up. Imagine being a Tory MP and losing your job and you didn't even get to have an affair. <laughs> I know. Because uh, I've talked about this before, like Matt Hancock waking up his kids in the middle of the night to say he's leaving their mother. But I, I looked up uh, how old Matt Hancock's kids are just to check, just in case of like they were 30 or something. Yeah. How old are they? No, they're, no, they're kids' age. It's fine. But I don't want to alarm you, but there may be an adulterer or adulteress in the house. Ah. Um, so, yeah. yeah, Gavin William pissed his pants uh, after the reshuffle. Yeah, reshuffle. He, and we're going to be, uh, now we have someone perfect to the visitation to open new pork trays and new cheese routes. Liz Truss is foreign set. I think the, the worst appointment is Nadine Dorries to DCMS. Oh, God, yeah. You know, just one of the most virulently racist pieces of shit Which, in yeah, Parliament. Yeah, and and that, that's saying something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a stupid racist. Well. Yeah, she, she's a, she's the sort of racist that, that will just fully tweet with her chest. I, I think she said something like, it was it was 2017, 18, maybe. She said, oh, I've just been back from the <laughs> My Got News for you Christmas or summer party. Um Saw my saw my daughter hugging Reginald D. Hunter. Hashtag where's the shotgun? Yeah. You know, this is this is this is the sort of race, you know, this isn't this is proper sate with your chest stuff. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, first of all, Department of Culture, Media and Sport, those three different things. Um secondly, uh, you know, she was she her first thing was um we need more British television. Uh, yeah. included uh, Derry Girls as part of that. 
you mean Londonderry girls? Londonderry girls. Fucking. For. Yeah. You know, I auditioned for Derry still Girls. To, to, to to yeah, to play the English cousin. Got a recall and everything. Right. Yeah. To Johnson's credit, though, at least he managed to conduct a, a reshuffle of his entire cabinet yeah. before Keir Starmer seems to have gotten round to um, appointing a new Shadow Women and Equalities Secretary of State, but also a new Shadow Women and Equalities Shadow Minister. Yeah. yeah. And you know what they say about losing uh, members of your Shadow Women and Equalities team? Oh, Steve One is... Please is... shut the fuck up. Can <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you imagine if, like... Um... If Ed wasn't Derry Girls, one on the way up, one on the way down. It's good to be back. Sorry, go on. Ed on Derry Girls, and we get the guy on Derry Girls on this show. Yeah, swap. Different, different universe. You know, Um, I'm busy busy playing Wolfie on the Inbetweeners. (laughs) Greg's Greg's in the Marvel Cinematic Universe playing Spider Man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Greg is Haggard Steve Rogers. Um. Uh. Yeah. Fucking. So what was it? What's the what's the story with um, Marsha de Cordova and well, Charlie I mean, Nichols? The, the, the story with Marsha de Cordova is, um, and let's and let's and let's say my, my position for Marsha de Cordova is 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 a little bit conflicted to be honest. Criticals are poor because she she does seem to have, um, and I don't know if any of our listeners might correct me on this, but to my knowledge, she hasn't done anything that's overtly transphobic. But again, she's had sort of a couple of flirtations along the lines that. Um, that, that Rosie Duffield has sort of like an LGB alliance tweets. Um, the LGB alliance are obviously a, essentially a, a hate group that masquerades as a, yeah. a gay liberation yeah. charity. Um, sort of pulled out of a, a couple of events at, at late notice, which left a sour taste, I think, in some in some activists and trans people's mouths. Um, but the the Voice newspaper, essentially the largest you know black newspaper in the UK, um, has printed a very damning. Uh, an indictment of, of of Starmer's leadership on race. Mm. Um, she had raised her issues with the with the Ford report that we've spoken on uh, on this podcast about many many times. Yeah, many many times. That's still delayed. We were told, interestingly, uh, at the last NEC meeting, that uh, a draft report would be agreed to be released at the next NEC meeting, which happened, I believe, on Friday this week. Yeah, uh, and that has yeah. been. I think I think nothing. I think, in fact, let me check because I actually tweeted an NEC member about it. Ah, we now expect it to be provided by November of this year, which presumably no. is the is the next meeting. Yeah, it was twentieth of July. Nadia Jamer um, tweeted that uh, General Secretary has advised NEC that he'd been in touch with Ford to agree for some elements of the report to be released by autumn. We requested Ford to be invited to the next NEC to provide a summary before publication. The, the general secretary agreed to request this. Um, so the position is presumably Ford hasn't attended the NEC. Yeah. Uh, the general secretary hasn't worked to make that happen and they've now fogged it off till November. So Marsha de Cordova sent a letter or joined, uh, signed a letter uh, that was sent by black MPs over the summer. Um, and there was a quite a damning um, response from the, from the leadership in the, in labor list, actually a quote from Lotto said, uh, Marsha didn't seem to realise that she'd just been talking to herself because as a, as a member of the Women in Equalities team, that letter essentially would have been sent to Kia and, and, and the Women in Equalities team if it was sent by the backbenchers because it concerned the Ford report, which is a really obviously a hugely patronising way for, for a junior minister to respond to a junior minister who is raising a really material concern. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. And yeah, okay, as much as the parliamentary convention might be junior junior uh, ministers don't sign these sort of round robin letters. Marsh is obviously aware of that. I think she's done it deliberately to to to, to make a point, which has then gone ignored in favour of making a patronising and petty little procedural point, if you'll forgive the alliteration. Um, so, uh, yeah, if you haven't read it, uh, yeah, we'll put, probably put a link to this in the in the in the in the description because the voices coverage is is really fantastic, and they've um, essentially all but said that the Labour Party's got a race problem. Yeah, um, and it's very interesting how this hasn't been picked up by you know any mainstream. Uh, mainstream publication in the UK. Not that the voice isn't mainstream, but I think it reveals quite a blind spot on on behalf of the media establishment, which will which will surprise nobody. Um, Marsha herself has said that she'll continue to support care from the back benches and wants to spend time with her constituents because it's a very marginal constituency in Battersea, which is true. Um, but then we've also had Charlotte Nichols quitting this week. Yeah. And um, some well, some eagle-eyed parliamentary observers will note that on Tuesday morning this uh, last week, uh, there was a Westminster Hall debate on uh, black maternal health. And a group of uh, black MPs have just established an all-party parliamentary group on black maternal health to reflect huge policy failures that see sort of black women four more times, four times more likely to die in childbirth in the UK. Mm. Um, so this debate should have been responded to um, as is parliamentary convention by the shadow ministers, which in Labour's case would have been Charlotte Nichols. However, she wasn't there. Yeah. And there was no wow. Labour front bench response at all. So she has since resigned. It's not clear whether uh, she resigned out of choice, whether Starmer asked of her resignation. It's not even clear what the timeline was, whether that was an influence in Marsha's decision to resign as well, whether what came before, what came afterwards. Um, and who knows why she missed it? We can't possibly, we can't possibly know for sure. We can't possibly, we can't know, possibly know, for know for sure. sure. We, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. We don't, Stop we asking us if we sure. know. But if you want to know, BritPopulismPod at gmail.com is the author. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we're not we're not exactly we're not exactly, you know, left royalty. We're not we're not um, you know, we weren't invited to Len McCluskey's book signing in Parliament a couple of weeks ago. We didn't go out to Malta for the for the Navarra media wedding. We're, we're not that big. Um, I was invited, so if, but if I you, said no. So I was if, already if, I was already going uh, I was already going to uh, Magalu for a fourth international wedding. Absolutely. So yeah, exactly. so you know we're not we we don't know what went on. If you really want to know what went on, you could maybe ask someone who was at the TUC conference uh, drinks on on, on the Monday, Monday evening, yeah. uh, and they might be able to tell you more than ask Kier. He was there. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he goes to every party through the wall in his Range Rover like the Kool-Aid man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He puts his car, he puts his car down, I'll start a tab, and then like leave through the back exit and cancels it. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's a mystery as to why Charlotte Nichols wasn't there. Real mystery. We'll never know. Um, we never that is a good point, actually. We never get invited to any of the big left wing events. Us and all of our favorite um extreme left wing friends, they, they they never invite us to anything. Why is that? I, I don't know. I I think well, it's, well it's, as always, it comes down to class, and they ain't got none. I didn't <laughs> <laughs> shitting fucking. I just talking of um, the left wing commentary. I was I found out some stuff about private school recently. <laughs> oh no! 
I, uh, I, so I, are the private I, schools okay? I recently, no, but I was just, I, I always used to think that private school was a scam and that like, like it was just a scam for rich, like an elite thing, like how different could your education be between a state school and a private school? And then I spent an evening with like, I was the only person that didn't go to a private school there. And they were telling me the craziest shit that I'd never heard in my life. Did you not, did you not like they had um, lab coats? Really? Okay. Fucked up is that? Yeah. I guarantee. I guarantee. I learnt more important lessons in in my science classes in a comp than they ever learned in their lab coats because they might have they might have a more detailed knowledge of the periodic table, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but I always had to. We always had to check our seats because they were just made out of metal, uh, and any time the gas was on, someone would just get a Bunsen burner and just superheat your 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 stool until it was hot enough. So it yeah. just burn your Teflon trousers to your legs. Exactly. What are they? What are growing, these growing up in that fucking, sort of environment, you learn good lessons. These, these fucking, these lab coat, these lab coat kids, right? When Next time they have to do an experiment with a Bunsen burner and they forgot to bring their lab coat, they're not going to know to tuck their nylon tie into their shirt. Absolutely. So they don't catch Absolutely. fire. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, these are the lessons you won't learn when you get a lab coat at school. Did you have, yeah, did these you have guys a nice wear the lab coats and, you know, measuring skulls and deciding which one of these people are going to be better at Duncan. <laughs> they, they all forget to check for, you know, pins and gum on their Teflon jets, superheated Teflon jets. Exactly. Uh, I maybe, maybe I'll do a new bit. Maybe I'll do a new bit. Posh, posh people do titration like this. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you didn't tuck your tie into your shirt while using the Bunsen burner, you might have gone to private school. <laughs> you know you're a redneck when... <laughs> you, know, you know you went to private school when... It's crazy. When, yeah. when your packed lunch had a packed lunch. <laughs> Did you ever have any people in your high school who had ties that weren't real ties? They were just a knot that was then tied to like a piece of elastic. Yeah. Yeah. you put around. They were all the rage in primary school. You know, they were just standard in primary school. You had to wear ties at primary school. Yeah, in, in the one, yeah, because I moved, the one I did in Wales, I didn't have to, but the one in, yeah. in England, I did, actually, yeah. That's mad. I think I'd, I'd have been really, it would really fucked me up if I was like eight and had to tie a tie. Didn't have to say, yeah, it was all just the elasticated ones. What was your uniform like, Pat? Let's round out the episode. Uh, tie, blazer. <laughs> oh, so what colour was your blazer? We had a black blazer. Na- navy cool. blue and uh, the tie... Uh, there were six ties, and you've got a different one depending on what house you're in, which you know boosts the money. Okay, now so you can't share the ties between your, your, like, your younger brothers and stuff. We had the same thing. We had to because um, we oh, that's a really massive school. We had to have a little strip of fabric sewn onto our blazer lapel. Yeah, to show what form you're in. No, different color denoting every year. So oh, the, right. Because we had like 2,000 kids. Did you go to a military college? No, it's like, but you fuck it. It's really hard to like give your blazer to someone else because they have to be exactly five years under you for you to give it to them. But that's, yeah, I mean, my, my high school was like 2,000, but there were no blazers. It was just it was just a black jumper, which then the head teacher said, I think when I was in year nine, he instituted a new rule that you could only take it off with the permission of your teacher. Oh, my God. And there were obviously some teachers that are just pathetic little sadists. So we'd yeah, never let you do it. Let you boil, yeah. Yeah, our, our headmaster at the time was obsessed with uniform. He'd be like, you're representing your school on your walk home. You have to wear your blazer and tie on your walk home. And I was like... Yeah, our, our head teacher started calling us ambassadors. Oh, he was like, you can fucking suck this ambassador, baby. 
Did you see? Did you boys see that a school in Derbyshire has banned uh, facial hair? What? It's uh, it's it's to. Do you want to have any? Do you want? Do you want to have a guess as to what what possible rationale they could have for banning facial hair? What it is is they're concerned that uh, it's it's too hard for the younger boys if they see older boys with with uh, with facial hair. It'll make them insecure and more prone to getting their asses kicked. I was I very. Ins- I couldn't grow facial hair until I was about 21, 22, and I felt really insecure about it. Would you have felt better if it was banned in your school? No. No. I mean, I guess I would have felt sort of smug about the fact that all the other boys would have to spend more money on razors than me. But of then- course, this is this is this is what the school has said. They've said it's an anti-bullying thing, uh, whether it is or whether it's just a targeted policy yeah. against the minority population of is the it, school. Is it not. a free school sponsored by Gillette? <laughs> the free school still exists, or is that whole Toby Young project dies? The best a boy can get. No, free schools are all over the place now. Um, yeah, of the, course, they're, just, of the, they're just not talked about anymore. One of the high schools I went to uh, has now been taken over by an academy trust uh, that my brother uh, then went to high school there, and it now has a, a Starbucks in the in the foyer. <laughs> is that when it becomes a, an academy school? Is that what it's called? Then it becomes an academy. Yeah, uh, that like to my fit. school when I was in like year ten, it went from being a what what was it a technology college? Yeah, technology and there, and then in year ten, it became an academy. It's yeah, so essentially, like they're not schools, really you know like schools school. are accountable to or historically been accountable to like the local authority, right? Yeah. Um, free schools have no; they're funded by the government, but they have no; they don't have to bow down to local authority and continue. Yeah, they're they're, they're accountable to their board of governors, who are almost exclusively f- figures from business, yeah. and then also sort of like the parents have a, a seat around the table as well. It's like when uh, Greendale Community College is taken over by Subway. Yes, exactly like that. Like, have you ever thought about teaching sandwich league. law? It's very similar. That the guy from Scrubs who plays Subway is so good in that show. Yeah. And the guy who is it that plays who you told me recently, who is the guy in like series six who plays the head of Hyundai or whatever it is, Honda? The car guy. Oh yeah. Who plays he's, he's like a famous guy. Yeah. yeah. He's great. Um we done. Go watch Community. We're done. Go watch Community. One sec. What great show! Have you ever seen Community, Greg? Yeah, I've not watched. Um, I've, I'm still not as far as like the sixth season yet. I'll give it a while. You got to finish it, mate. Great. Yeah, I need. I need to finish it. It's just I'll probably go back to the beginning because I'm not watched. Oh, it was Billy Zane. Yet, so. Billy Zane. Yeah. Where the Honda. I got have really guys, excited because I always have get. Have you Billy guys Zane watched? Um, Mays confused. I thought you were talking about Billy Mays. Billy Mays, the Shamwell guy. Yeah. Probably like his 1999. Have you guys seen the, the 9-11 show on uh, Netflix? Uh, no. What, what's I, that? Is so, that Conan's new vehicle? No, so it's it's no, it's no um, <laughs> it's like a documentary about 9-11. Um, on every night I, from 9 to 11. <laughs> <laughs> it's Conan. I thought it was going to be, I thought it was going to be shit because it, it was, they released it on the 20th anniversary. So I thought it was just going to be, you know, like a... Um, uh, you know, flag shagging, flag shagging sort of thing. Mm. But it's 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 very very good. It all goes into you know how shit the CIA are and the the insane moral panic that was whipped up. Yeah, it does use some really graphic footage, some footage that I've I'd literally never seen before, which yeah. is surprising because you think you've seen it all to sure. a certain point, don't, yeah, don't they, you? But they, then it they probably they is one of the most you, uh, photographed events in history. They show you blue waffle goat. See, they show it all. Man. 
George Bush doing that game where if you touch the wall, the ring face comes out and screams at you. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's haunting. <laughs> George Bush, Rumsfeld and Colin Powell doing Lemon Pie. Yeah, the, that, that, that clip of him in the school where, you know, he's reading uh, <laughs> the, the duck book and the guy goes up to him and goes, we did it, we fucking did it, boys. I've got to go. I've got yeah. to go come. One man, one jar. Remember that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if... Uh, Pain Olympics. Fuck, I remember that, man. If that was the describe of like a, a, just got, just a, country, what like on. a Neolithic hatchet to his bollocks. Yeah, that was uh, the Pain Olympics. Was the you know that sort of strain of YouTube videos now, which is like you know that guy who does like um, prehistoric, like builds huts in the in the forest and shit, and makes yeah, but, or, like insanely high tech, like real Swiss Family Robinson type shit. Yeah, but then like it's completely silent and sort of peaceful and just doing the task. The Pain Olympics was the originator of those kinds of videos. They walked so he could run. Yeah. They chopped their scrouts in half so that all these people could cook in silence and make five million pounds a week. Like the Turkish guy who's always staring at the camera really creepily, cooks his food in giant quantities and gives it to loads of little hungry kids. I fucking love that guy. How big... Every time he's got a bigger pan and you're like, this is crazy. Bigger pan, bigger hole in the ground, bigger... Couldn't even call it a knife, like bigger scimitar. Yeah, he uses, yeah, like, and uh, what my favorite thing about those videos is that they're like, they're not, they're sped up, but only like a bit. They're not like at clearly at like two, two times speed or four times speed. They're at like 1.4 or something. You know, it's great. <laughs> Love it. Those videos are fucking sick. All right. I do like that guy, but I do feel like his smiles are getting creepier. It just, it's, in fact, it's not even the smile, it's just the, the relentless eye contact. And he knows his he knows his mark so well. So obviously, like it's not spread up too much. But then when it cuts to the next stage of the process, he knows his mark so well that even when it cuts to a different background, he occupies the exact same space of the shot at all times, regardless of what he's doing. I think that's and great. The more you give watch me... it, the more unnerving it gets. It is, but sometimes. But give me that over like I, I used to really like his videos, but <laughs> Fucking give me that over fucking some cunt like Babish who like makes a jillion pounds and lives in a six story penthouse in New York, like, and just insists on trying to be funny when he's just sort of copying like fucking parks and rec every episode. Like the shot, he doesn't seem to realize that the show was good when he just did scripted voiceovers and told you what he was doing and made a burger from like fucking the Simpsons or whatever and now he's trying to do the comedy and it makes you want to just take one of his own brand of cookware and shove it down your own gullet like samurai execution style anyway good evening Great Britain good evening Great Britain good evening Great Britain, <laughs> evening, Great Britain. 